In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What do these places have in common? Cambridge, Massachusetts. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pingling, China. Nauvoo, Illinois. And Medina, Saudi Arabia. In each of these places, you can visit the graves of dead religious leaders. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, is in Cambridge. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, is in Pittsburgh. The cremated remains of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, is in Pinglang. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is in Nauvoo. And Muhammad's body is in Medina in the Islamic Green Dome. You can make a pilgrimage to any and all of these places and visit the graves containing the dead remains of the founders of these various religions. There's another grave of a founder of a religion in Jerusalem in Israel. It is the grave of Jesus of Nazareth who founded the religion of Christianity. I got to visit this grave in July of 1991, and this grave is different from all of the other graves that I mentioned. And what's the difference? Well, Jesus' grave is empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And because Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead. You confess this each Sunday in the Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. This confession refers to your body. In the end, death will not be victorious. This is what you confess together each week here at church, even though you live in a world that denies the resurrection of Jesus' body and denies the resurrection of your body because resurrection flies in the face of experience. Folks know birth, folks know life, folks know death. They know that dead is dead. They have seen it. But it's not true. Dead is not dead. Jesus of Nazareth was executed on a Roman cross in Jerusalem. Before dying, he cried out, It is finished! The Roman soldiers overseeing the crucifixion were death experts. They made sure Jesus was dead by spearing him in the side and blood and water flowed forth from the wound. Jesus of Nazareth was certainly dead. He was taken down from the cross, wrapped in linens with, with um, spices, and he was laid in a nearby tomb. And Jesus died in a public place at Calvary, also called Golgotha, just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Two prominent men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, took Jesus' body and buried him in an unused tomb. Jesus' death and burial on that Friday were done in a very public way. No one denied what had just happened. Jesus' disciples were present, or Jesus' disciple John was present at the cross. The other disciples likely were watching in fear from a distance. A group of women who followed Jesus from Galilee were also at the cross. They went to the tomb afterwards, watched as Jesus' body was placed in the tomb, and the tomb was sealed with a stone and a guard was set to make sure no one stole the body. And it was over. Jesus was dead and buried. Come Sunday morning, the women went back to the tomb to bring spices and discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
They reported it to the disciples who came to see the empty tomb with the grave clothes neatly folded. Jesus appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That night he appeared to, to the disciples who were hiding in a locked room. And a week later he appeared to them again when Thomas was back with him. And he touched Jesus' wounds. The disciples touched Jesus. They ate with Jesus. Jesus really did die. And Jesus really did rise from the dead. These are both true, even though it does not make sense. In our epistle lesson today, St. Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, in nearby Athens in Greece. Greek society did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In the Greek city of Corinth, everyone would have known that when you die, only your soul makes the trip across the river Styx into the underworld. No bodies allowed. And it's likely in the culture of Corinth, they would have been very skeptical of the idea of resurrection. One famous Greek playwright wrote, When the dust hath drained the blood of a man, once he is slain, there is no resurrection. The Greeks believe dead is dead, period. End of the story. Not much has changed in our times. There's a strong sense that death is the end. There's nothing after death. Dead bodies have no future. We tend to imagine our souls after death like a life force of Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda or something after they die, a kind of glowing version of our physical selves. Remember how neither Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda left an embarrassing corpse behind when they died. Neither did Master Ugwe from the Kung Fu Panda. In fact, in entertainment of young and old, we Americans seem to be content with a soul living on without a body, if it's a family movie, and souls living on in dead bodies if it's a zombie movie. But we do not imagine that something as vulgar as a corpse has much of a future. Even in the church, there can be a strong sense that our bodies are just a shell, and once the spirit leaves the body, it's a useless husk with no future. This way of thinking is what St. Paul is confronting in our epistle lesson today. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You will one day die and return to the earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But this will not stop your resurrection. God created Adam from the dust of the ground. He tells Adam, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Jesus teaches in John 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus tells Lazarus' sister Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There is resurrection of the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead, and you will be raised from the dead. Paul calls people out for not believing in the resurrection of the dead. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul is adamant. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then your faith is in vain. Paul Meyer, a Lutheran historian and son of the first Lutheran hour speaker, Walter Meyer, wrote a book called A Skeleton in God's Closet. The basic premise of the novel is that archaeologists have found the bones of Jesus of Nazareth, and the book explores what effect this has on Christians around the world. Ponder this for a moment. If Jesus' body is found, how would it affect your life? Would you still come to church? If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then Christianity is nothing. If Jesus is not raised, this would all just be foolishness, and we would be fools to keep on hoping in Christ. Paul writes, if in If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I fear, though, that for many church bodies, finding the body of Jesus would not change what they do. Many liberal church bodies already teach that Jesus' resurrection may have just been a a spiritual resurrection to show the disciples' faith, but that Jesus did not really rise from the dead. Churches have just become a group of nice people doing nice things. But the true church is so much more. The true church will be destroyed if they ever find the body of Jesus. If they find the body of Jesus, all this is worthless. But the truth is, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We know this to be true. There were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They recorded what they witnessed, and we have that testimony. This is not some vision a writer got while he was sitting in a cave somewhere. This is eyewitness testimony recorded for all time. And not just one eyewitness, many eyewitnesses. Paul writes, he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. We have the eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, John, Peter, and Paul. Luke records others' eyewitness accounts. And you know you can trust these accounts because of what the eyewitnesses did for the rest of their lives after witnessing Jesus' resurrection. Church history tells us that these eyewitnesses of the resurrection spent the rest of their lives witnessing about what they had seen. They did not get rich or powerful. They endured abuse and torture and imprisonment because of their testimony. They were whipped and beaten and stoned and driven out of towns and cities. 
Ten out of the eleven disciples plus Paul were executed for telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. These eyewitnesses absolutely know the truth about Jesus rising from the dead, and they never stop telling others, no matter what the consequences. Jesus is the first fruits of the grave. He is the first one out of the grave, but he will not be the last. Unless Jesus returns while you're still alive, while you're still alive, you will follow him out of the grave on the last day as your body will be raised up imperishable and your spirit and body reunited, clothed in the robe of Jesus' righteousness, together with all the communion of saints, will march into the heavenly city of New Jerusalem, your new eternal home. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is not just some Easter proclamation. This is your confession of the truth. And because Jesus has risen, you also will rise from the dead. Amen. And now may the peace of God, the peace that is beyond understanding, keep your hearts and minds in true faith until our Lord Jesus returns in glory. Amen. We rise and confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.